of the week and you will separate it out so that it's ready to go and just sitting in your fridge, you're good, right? For the week, we meal prep, we measure, we, we determine the ounces, the grams of fat, the carbs, all that. We measure, we calculate, we count calories. We research plans. Like you go, you go, you spend hours online researching the plan you're working now or the next one because this one's just not that picture on the front of that men's health mat, that's not you. So clearly you chose the wrong plan. The problem's not you, it's the plan. So you'll find another one. You get coaching. You get coaching or you get a friend who can coach you. You journal your progress. This is great. Men don't usually journal, but you know what? Like you will see more dudes in a gym with a journal with them. It's insane. Like you won't journal what's in your soul, but you'll write down your reps and your weight at the gym. That's just classic Classic dude right there. Um, you will plan your week, your day, your hours around a workout routine. Like the workout routine becomes central and everything else needs to fit around it. You, whether you're going to eat at a certain time of day or drink coffee or not or a beer the night before or not or whether you're going to socialize with these people or not, the driving decision really is the workout routine, right? It becomes central to our lives. Now, you're expecting to be condemned right now. So good on you. That's exceptional stewardship of the body that Jesus has given you. You should do this for your family, for your kids, um, to, to, do, to, to work well um, for your wife. I mean, there are a lot of good reasons. Insofar as it's not controlling you, you control it, right? Good on you for stewarding that. But I want to go a different direction with, with all of that this morning. And here it is. I wonder... Do we give similar time, similar attention, and similar effort to our spiritual well-being? And if we don't, if not, why not? 
why not more? Why, why wouldn't we choose to give more attention, more, more diligence, more effort to, um, to our souls, to our spiritual well, well-being? And what would it look like if we did? What if we meal prepped our hearts spiritually in the same way that we meal prep for ourselves physically? What if, what if you sat down on a Sunday afternoon and meal prepped for your soul? You open the Bible, you're like, all right, Monday, this passage. Tuesday, I'm going to need this this passage, Wednesday, and so on and so forth, and you had it set for the week before it even began. But we don't do that, do we? We'll do it for our physical bodies, but so few of us will take a step like that for our souls. Why? Like, why is that? Why is that? The big idea of our passage today is simply this. Work out, work out, work out your own salvation, right? Work out your own salvation. We're going to hang our thoughts on three, um, three big ideas as we work, work our way through. Work out your own salvation. First, three reasons why you must work out your own salvation. Followed by two, two exercises for working out your own salvation in the everyday stuff of life. And finally, one posture. Posture is important while you're working out, especially in your 40s. One posture to maintain while working out your own salvation. So three reasons, two exercises, and one posture. But the big idea is this. You must, you must, you must work out your own salvation. Now, before we roll into all that, let's read our passage together. And then let's make sure that we're all tracking with what exactly Paul means when he tells us to work out our own salvation. Right? Let's just make sure we're tracking with that. But to begin with, Philippians 2. Uh, Starting in verse 12, we'll read to verse 18. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, or my, my dearly loved, my deeply loved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more obey in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, arguing, so without complaining or arguing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even... If I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad, and I rejoice in this with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. All right, so Paul says to these young Christians that he's teaching and to us, Listen, you must work out your own salvation. That, that's the big idea of our passage. And it, it sounds really important, wouldn't you say? I mean, the word salvation's in that sentence and you're being told to do something with it. You work out your own salvation. So let's just take a minute to make sure we're all tracking that before we press in. And let's just go backwards. So let's start with salvation. What's Paul getting at? When Paul's talking about our salvation, he's reminding us, he's reminding me, he's reminding John Ransom, I was a rebel living independently and autonomously from my father, or at least trying to live autonomously from my father. You can't actually because he created you and he sustains your breath and your heart. Like you, you're living right now because he wants you to live. So any, 
Any sense that you are indeed autonomous from him is really an illusion of autonomy. You're not actually, but in our rebellion, that's what we aim for. So my salvation is this. I, the rebel son, was brought back home to my dad through the work of my older rescuing brother, Jesus, and I was welcomed back into the family without condition because Jesus satisfied all the conditions for me. And I'm welcomed back with arms wide open, right? Creed was a thing when I was a kid, sorry. (laughs) Now, now, this rebel son is a fully loved and accepted son in the father's family, receiving mercy instead of the judgment that I deserve for my rebellion, right? So that's what Paul's talking about, my salvation. I'm a fully loved and accepted son in the father's family. And now he says, so, so there's the salvation piece. He says, your own. Now these words are, I mean, these may be the two most important words in the text, honestly, if we're going to make sure we understand this correctly, your own, because these, key, these words are key if we're going to understand correctly what Paul is saying. So if I were to say to you, my own mug, oh wait, we already mentioned creed. So my own prison, right? No, let's stick with mug. That's better. My own mug. What do you know about the mug? What do you already know about this mug? Whose is it? It's mine. It's my mug. Am I talking about potential or am I just letting you know straight up? It's already mine. It's mine. This is my mug. So Paul's saying your salvation. He's saying he's writing to people who already have this thing. They have already been rescued. They're no longer rebel sons. They're now sons and daughters back in, the fam- in, in their father's family. So this salvation that Paul is talking about in Christ, it's mine now. It's already mine. So he's not expressing potential. He's expressing ownership. I already have this thing. That's what Paul is telling us about our salvation. I am a son. I am a son right now because, as we've already read again to get, uh, together today, because Jesus has made me his own, he's already done that. So yes, Paul is saying to you this morning, you must work. There's something about your salvation that involves work for you. You must work, but in our father's family, we don't work for our salvation. We work from it, okay? We work from it. Now, there are three tenses to our salvation that we need to be reminded of. Past, future, and present. Let's go in that order. Past, my rescue's already accomplished, right? Jesus has already done all of the work necessarily, and he said it on the cross, right? What did he say? It's finished. I've done it all. None of my younger brothers and sisters who need to be adopted in will need to do anything to earn a place in this family. I've earned it for them. If you're learning theology, and I would encourage all of you to, because that's how we learn to know our dad better, the term for that would be justification, right? We have been announced right with the Father because of Jesus' finished work. It's, it's done in a moment of time, and it says something true about me that will always be true. I'm part of the family. So the past tense of our salvation is our justification when Jesus said, it's finished. The future tense is this, one day, One day in the future, there will be no more remaining rebel tendencies in my heart. I will be just like my older rescuing brother, Jesus. The term for that is our glorification, when we will be totally like Jesus. But you're not right now, are you? No, you are a long, long, long way off, even if you've been in the family for a long time, right? So that's future. When Jesus returns, 
the work that he's doing in our hearts will be completed. Sin will be gone. My rebel tendencies, thank God, will be no more. That battle will be done and we'll be with the Father just like our older rescuing brother Jesus. Okay, so past and future and then present. Um, This is the already but not yet, right? So the already of justification is done. The not yet of glorification is way out there. So we're in the in-between. I have been rescued, but my rescue is not yet fully realized, okay? And there are so many rebel tendencies in my heart right now. If you've known me long enough, you've seen too many of them expressed. But for those of you who don't know me very well yet, just trust me or ask my wife. You don't have to take my word for it. Ask my kids. There are many rebel tendencies in my heart. I'm so unlike Jesus. I'm so unlike a son or a daughter. And so I need to grow and I need to change. So we had justification. We had glorification. Now this word for that growth and change in the in-between is our sanctification, the work that the Father's doing in us. But this is where we are this morning. We are in the in-between. And so the question is, what do we do in the in-between? What do we do? We just wait? We just wait? No, we work. Paul's saying, dog, you, you work at this. You work out your own salvation. And so let's just keep that very simple to help us. What that means is, To work out my salvation is to live in the reality that I am no longer a rebel son. I am a fully accepted, fully affirmed, fully loved son in my father's family. So now to work out my salvation simply means I'm learning to live as a son to my father. Period. That's it. It's learning to be a son or a daughter to your father. The one you were in rebellion to but now you're gladly submitting to. I was independent, so now I'm learning dependence, right? You learn that. I'm learning to be dependent on my dad. I was striving for autonomy. Now I'm learning to to live in relationship, not only with my dad, but with my dad's family, you guys. So that death to autonomy is hard fought and slow and painful. I'm part of a family. I lived according to my own will, my own desires, what I wanted. So now to be, that's a rebel son tendency. You do you is a rebel tendency. Sorry. So now we're learning to submit to the will of the Father, just like Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. That's what it looks like to be a son. Father, I don't don't really desire that cross, that painful thing. But this is not about my will. Your will be done. Right? So I'm learning that. We're learning that. Now, for some of you, this may be news. Like, this may be news to you because you've been taught that God does all the work for you. Maybe you heard it like this in a very innocent cultural expression, which is generally well-intended. Just let go. Let God. Or, if you're a country music fan, thank you, so I didn't have to say those words out loud. (laughs) Paul would say, no, 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 don't let go and let God. Don't let Jesus take the wheel. Jesus, well, let's just, let's leave that alone. Don't do that. Don't let go. Own it. Own it. Work. Like work. It's going to be hard work. It is going to be hard work. And this is, this is actually, honestly, this is part of the reason why this is good news for us. The fact that it's hard work. Why? Because so many of us carry around so much guilt and shame because Christianity does not come easy to you. And you look around and you're like, well, clearly it comes easy to him and her and him and that couple. Man, like they, marriage has never been challenging for them. Man, for that, that, singleness is not even a thing for them. They're just happy. They're killing it following Jesus. But guys, listen, it doesn't come easy to anybody. 
This thing of following Jesus and submitting to the Father and learning to be a son or a daughter with all these rebel tendencies remaining is brutally hard work. It doesn't come easy. It's work. It's work because it's relationship. And all relationships require hard work, don't they? They all require work. And that's good that it requires work. All relationships are hard work because it it's constant growth and change, right? There are new patterns of living that I'm learning, and that's hard work. Being a son or a daughter and exercising dependency includes learning new motives, new joys, new sorrows, new passions, new affections, new allegiances, new hopes, new dreams, new values, a new family, new mission, new purpose for living, and on and on and on and on. You get the sense. That's a lot of new. That's a lot of different. It's work, man. It's also work, not just because it's relationship and not just because it's really unlearning all of my rebel ways and learning to live as a son or a daughter. It's work because my own heart works actively against me. It's my own worst enemy. My greatest enemies are not outside of you. That's another freeing truth of the gospel. Your worst enemy lives within you and it's your heart. It works actively against you. It's also work because this rebel world works actively against you. Your second worst enemy. So it's work, and we have work to do, and that's exactly what we do in the in-between, the already but not yet. Listen, working out your salvation simply means in the space between, we learn to be sons and daughters. We learn to love our dad. We hated him. We learn to live for him. We were living for ourselves. That's our work, okay? It's relational work. It's always relational. So let me give you now the three reasons, the two exercise, and the one posture that we need to maintain as we work. Here are the three reasons that you must work out your own salvation. Number one, you must work out your own salvation because Jesus worked. That's the first reason, because Jesus worked. Paul begins this paragraph with the word therefore. So he lets us know that he's beginning this whole conversation about our need to work by pointing back to Jesus' finished work on our behalf. So we should ask the question, all right, how did Jesus work? What did he do? Well, if you remember our time in, in that part of Philippians chapter 2, Jesus first took on the form of a servant, right? I mean, there, there's work for you right there. He's just letting us know he took on the form of a servant, servant's work. He's the working son. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That was his work. Becoming, and I love the I-N-G at the end of that word. He didn't became obedient. He was becoming obedient process. Jesus became or humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So in our family, Jesus is both the hero and the example. That's what Paul, remember when Paul said he encouraged people to imitate him, but what was his qualifier to that? Imitate me only insofar as I'm imitating Jesus, our older rescuing brother. Otherwise, don't imitate the dude, right? We imitate Christ. Well, how do we imitate Jesus? How do we imitate Paul as he was imitating Jesus? Well, we remember Jesus is the working son, and so we're called to be like him. And he did his work by becoming obedient to the point of death. That is your work too, becoming obedient to the point of death. Your rebel self has to die. Those rebel tendencies have to die. We become obedient to the point of death as we submit to the Father's will. That's, that's our work, okay? So we're learning to be our father's son, our father's daughter, and what that looks like is for us is we are learning, we are becoming obedient to our dad. That's our work. That's our primary work. 
So you must work out your own salvation because Jesus worked for you. That's where Paul begins. Number two, Jesus, you must work out your own salvation because Jesus' work made me a son, made me a daughter. Uh, the next words are my beloved or my deeply loved or my love. Really, that's, that's family language. You're my loved son, my deeply loved daughter, brother, sister. So what Paul is saying is he's reminding us this is who we are. We are our father's deeply loved sons and daughters. And Jesus' work, again, accomplished this for us. It's done. You know this, right? You know that because what Jesus did for you, you are fully accepted and fully affirmed from the first moment you repent and believe. You repent of your rebellion and you believe in the Father. There is nothing that you have to do to make his heart glad or happy. He's happy. He's glad in you because of the work that Jesus did on your behalf. You have to know this. So in this family, we don't work for love. We work from love. In our father's family, we don't work for acceptance. We work from acceptance. We work from love and acceptance. Before Jesus did any of his work for the father, right? Remember this scene, his, his baptism? He had not really start. he hadn't started the work yet. He's baptized. And what does the father say over him? You are my deeply loved son, and in you I am well pleased. What was he pleased in? He hadn't done anything yet to accomplish the Father's mission to glorify him and to rescue sons and daughters. But then Jesus went to work. Only then did Jesus go to work. Guys, that's true for us too, and that is exactly why baptism is supposed to come first. And we rehearsed this last week, right, when we baptized seven members of our family. There's the rehearsal. The Father was saying over every one of them, I love you in Christ, and you're accepted in Christ. There's nothing that you have to do or can do to earn this place in my family as a son or a daughter. You are a son or a daughter. Now let's work, right? The work follows the sonship. Number three, the third reason that you must work out your own salvation is because your father works in you. Your father works in you. People say untrue things about our dad all the time. Sometimes we say untrue things about our dad on accident or we just don't know. Um, we also believe many untrue things about our dad. As we're learning to know him, uh, hopefully in time in the word, those untrue things are being displaced by the truth of what he himself says about who he is as a father. But one of the untrue things that we say and believe about our dad is this, another kind of innocent, well-meaning cultural expression, God helps those who helps themselves. Guys, the gospel says our dad helps those who cannot help themselves. That's what the gospel says. We see this in Romans 4, 5. It'll be on the screen for you. Paul writes, and to the one who does not work, does not work, but, so in place of work, no work, believes in him, Jesus, who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. That's the gospel. You believe in the one who worked for you. You can't work. You, you, you don't have anything to give to the Father to, to get him to accept you into the family. Jesus did it for you, so you believe in his finished work and you rest in his finished work. We read the same thing in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And man, Paul's so explicit here. This is not your own doing. You didn't do this. It is the gift of God, not a result of your personal work. See, nothing in the Father's family is a result of your work so that no one may boast. Paul's just reminding us, you cannot work for a place in the Father's family. Jesus worked for that, and he said the work was done. 
And so we receive a place in the family by trusting or by placing your faith in Jesus and in his finished work. That's how you find entrance into the family. It's the acknowledgement that, yes, I'm a rebel son. Um, there, I recognize there is nothing I can do to earn forgiveness. I also believe that Jesus did everything necessary so that I could be accepted into the family and forgiven. That's your faith. And the Father says that you will be declared righteous based on Jesus' work for you. So in our dad's family, again, we don't work for, we work from. But don't be mistaken. Listen, you must work. You got to work. You have to work. Paul says, this is a command here. He says, you work out your salvation, your own salvation. I can't work it out for you. The person, your spouse cannot work it out for you. Your mom and your dad Nothing can work. You own this. You work it out. That's what Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2.10. He says, he's speaking of adopted sons and daughters, and he's saying, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good work. Good works, which God prepared before him, beforehand that we should walk in them. You're created to work. You are rescued to work out your salvation. You are rescued into the family so that you can learn what it means to be a son and a daughter. And that will require profound personal work on your part. You got to own it. You know the age-old question, uh, what came first? Yeah, I mean, you guys are just killing it this morning. Look, I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. But based on my reading of Genesis 1, I'd say Chick-fil-A. No, I'm just kidding. I'm mocking your Jesus chicken. It's not the true and better chicken. There's better stuff out there for you. <laughs> yeah, what's up, what's up? <laughs> uh, so the chicken came first, right? We can, we're educated people. Probably came first. And Paul's letting us know here in all of this, our dad's, listen, you have to hear this. Our dad's work has a causal relationship with our work, Okay. Our dad's work is the cause. It's the first cause. It's the uncaused cause, right? Your father's work is what causes the work in your heart. If dad has not worked on your behalf, there will not be work from you as a son or a daughter, right? But because he has worked through Jesus and because our father works in us, now you can work. You have been given the ability to do this work. And so our father works in us so we can work out. He works in so we can work out. That, that statement should replace in our minds and our hearts the other statement that we referenced a moment ago, God helps those who helps themselves. Let's, let's lose that one and replace it with God works in so we can work out. And that's why Paul says, that's exactly why he says here that we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Now listen, some of you grew up environments, in environments where you were communicated to over and over again. This means that you need to be scared of something. Um, as a son or a daughter, Paul does not mean that this should scare you or frighten you. It's not a scary prospect. Now, if you're not yet an adopted son or daughter, if you are a rebel, this should be a scare. Everything about the father should be frightening to you because you stand, you stand condemned for your rebellion. You will face his judgment. But once you have experienced mercy in Christ, which you can this morning by faith, 
the fear is gone. Perfect love casts out fear, right? You experience perfect love from the Father. So now what he's saying is, he means you should not be afraid, but that you should be absolutely in awe of this, like just blown away that the Father is working in you for this life-giving thing. He's talking about absolute amazement that God would work in us to give us life instead of giving us what we deserve for our rebellion. Be in awe that the God who created this vast universe would go to work inside the confines of your soul. Be in awe of that. Be in awe that he would know you by name and treat you as a son. There are billions of people who have lived and are living on this planet, and there are millions of sons and daughters in his family, but he knows your name, and he knows exactly what your soul needs, and we learned in Philippians 1 that our Father has begun that good work in you, and he will be faithful to complete it until the end, until the day of Christ Jesus. So our Father, though he has way too many kids to count, he's not a distant or disconnected dad. He pursues, he pursued you. He brought you to life. He worked in so you could work out. He's engaged with you. And quite honestly, he cares more than you do about your own soul. Because if we cared more about our soul, we'd do less meal prepping and more uh, meal prepping for our souls. I mean, just our whole lives scream, I don't care that much about my soul. We don't even really have to argue about it. Like my Monday morning routine will show you that I care way more about lots of other things. Dad cares best and most for your soul. He's a good dad. And so what work is your dad doing? Thankfully, Paul actually tells us very explicitly, like, all right, God is working in so I can work out. I'm learning to be a son. So what is he doing in me to help me learn to be a son or a daughter? He is, Paul tells us, he's working to realign our will and our work with his. For our will... Our father is teaching me to want what my dad wants. That's what we see in verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work. He's talking about your will and your work that you would will and you would work for his good pleasure. So as it relates to my will, my dad is teaching me to want what my dad wants. He's, I was created for this. I rebelled against it. So to be my salvation is that I would be restored to this, that my heart would want, would, would pursue less what I want for myself and learn to love and pursue what my dad loves and pursues, right? So my will, he's realigning my will to his. That's painful, yeah? That's painful. Well, we, that's painful. We'll just, that's painful. And our work, our father's teaching us to work like, our, like he works, we, we see how he works in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Father's work. And Jesus worked for the Father's glory and for our good. That's what it wor- looks like to work for our dad. We, lurk, we work for his reputation, his fame, and we, we pour ourselves out for the good of other people. Um, man, we all learn to, to work through our parents. Um, I mean, in the early days, I remember my dad drove a milk truck for most of my growing up years, and thankfully, this was before everything in our country was re- regulated. Um, so he would wake us up two, three o'clock in the morning. Uh, we lived in Vermont, so it was brutally cold. We'd go, we'd go to the, mil- the milk plant, and we'd get in the truck with him, and we'd ride the entire route all day long. Uh, we learned to work from our dad. One time, my older brother met my dad at the door on his way out, and he hands him a screwdriver, no joke, and he's like, here, dad. In case you need to screw anything up at work today, and just saying, right? Like work, we just know, we watch dad and we watch him work and we want to work with him. 
Our Father, our Heavenly Father, is a good dad in this way because the, the Scripture here says that He takes good pleasure in accomplishing this in you and through you. In other words, your dad, the fact that this is lifelong and painful and you're a slow learner and most days you're not a good son, our Father constantly enjoys. It's His good pleasure to root out all those rebel tendencies in your heart and to cultivate in you the heart of a joyfully obedient son or a daughter. He doesn't grow tired. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't snap. He's not angry. He loves you. And it's his good pleasure to do this work in you. And he started it. He knows it. He's going to be faithful to complete it. You're going to tap out all along the way, but he will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So we work because Jesus worked we work because we've been made sons and daughters. And guys, look, this is just what the Bible's saying. Sons and daughters work. We work. Not for, but from. And we work because the Father's working in us. And then Paul's going to give us two exercises for working out our own salvation. Look, in the everyday stuff of life, these are not glamorous exercises. You're not going to swole up on this program in a couple weeks, okay? It's not that. This is the real deal. Look in verse 14, Paul says, Here's your first exercise. Like, you want to get after it this week? Here you go. Here's the new workout plan. Do all things without grumbling or, compl- or disputing. Do everything you do as a son or a daughter now without complaining. Like, that's zero complaining, which is crazy because for most of you, complaining is held up as like this cultural value where you know things are right in the world, right? It's insane. No complaining, no arguing. So you're asking, why is this an exercise? Like, why does Paul even bring this up here? Well, have you tried it? Like, this is the exercise we all know about, but never do at the gym. Like, you all know you should be doing your legs. You all know you need the squat rack, but you don't. You think you're all swole up top, but everybody knows you don't actually work out because you never get in the rack. This is that exercise. This is it. I mean, if you have really actively given yourself to this, like consciously paying attention to your heart and the tendency to complain and rejecting that, repenting of it and choosing to do something else in its place, you know that this is, these reps hurt. This is the deep burn, the deep stretch. And this is the one that you feel like for days to follow, right? This is that one. But why? Why is that true? It's true because this is where you where you will most unlearn and reject your rebel ways. This is it. This is the height of your rebellion, a complaining spirit. Because what it says is, I don't trust God. I don't trust my dad, so I need to complain about this. So this, is, this, this exercise is where John Ransom unlearns and rejects his rebel ways and learns to live as a son, trusting my dad. So it sounds something like this. Dad, I don't understand this thing or this person. I don't like this thing or this person. I wouldn't choose this thing or this person. Or knowing what I know now, I would not have chosen. That's normally how we would say it. I wouldn't have chosen this, her, them, him, this church. But I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to work for your glory and for the good of people here in this place, in this relationship, on this island. I choose trust. I trust you. I love you. I know you love me. I know you're working for my good in this. So I reject the temptation to complain because I know what that says about you. And in its place, I'm going to choose to trust you in this. So Paul is saying that this exercise both proves my sonship, it proves it, and it grows me as a son. 
Paul gives that reason here. He says, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. What he's doing is he's quoting from Deuteronomy 32 verse 5. Let me just tell you why that matters to us. Deuteronomy 32.5 is a warning. It's a profound warning. What's going on in Deuteronomy 32? Well, let me just read it to you. It says, he's speaking of people who thought they were his kids, right? It says, they have dealt corruptly with him, with their dad. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and a twisted generation, That's the verse that Paul is quoting here for us as family. And what's going on in Deuteronomy 32 is we're meeting people who claimed to be sons and daughters to our father, but showed themselves not to be sons and daughters through the absence of trust and the ongoing presence of unrepentant complaining and grumbling. Trust in Christ, trust in Jesus like learning to live as a son, being a daughter, and a complaining spirit about our lives and our life circumstances do not coexist. They cannot coexist. So listen, if you want to get after it this week, like you're like, all right, I like this. I got it. Work out. Give me the plan. I will. And you're like, you hear the first exercise. And like, I'm going to find the next workout plan. I'll choose a different one. Guys, this is it. This is our dad's plan for us to work out our salvation. So if you really want to get after it this week, it begins with repentance. We acknowledge our tendency to complain and we ask for our dad's help in it because you can't put it to death on your own. So it begins with repentance followed by, dad, please help me in this. Jesus, I need help. I need your strength. I need the spirit to give me life in this. And when we are tempted to complain, when we are tempted to complain, we reject and we choose trust in its place which will normally mean our mouths are going to be closed to the people around us more than normal, but that our hearts are actually speaking to our dad way more than normal for maybe the first time. But you want to do it? Like this week? We could all get on the same workout plan. I mean, we should. It's kind of our dad's workout plan, so let's do it. Let's journal this one. Let's, let's write it down. You write down your reps and your weights, and then you put a little rubber band around it, and it's a green notebook, so it looks like work when you go into work. But everybody knows what it is. It's your workout binder. We could do this. The second exercise that he gives is holding fast to the word of life. That is where we learn to listen to our father's voice, right? You're a kid, you're a son now, you're a daughter, you're learning dependency, you're learning not to be autonomous. So you've got to learn how to listen to your dad's voice, And you do that through the word of life. Um, And for those of you new to the faith, new to Christianity, he's talking about the Bible. He's talking about the scriptures that we have. That's the word of life, okay? This is the other exercise that sons and daughters do. So we trust rather than complaining and arguing, and we wrap a death grip. He said holding fast, right? Like your life depends upon it, around our Father's words, knowing that our lives do, in fact, depend upon it. Holding fast to the word is the primary means through which we work out our salvation, okay? You cannot work out your salvation apart from the word. I know we already referenced the squat rack way too much. So this is your bench press, right? You have to squat and you have to bench. You have to do these two things if you're going to grow in strength. They're your core muscle groups. Like it's weird if you're just gonna work out your fingers or your toes or the dude who's just doing abs at the gym all day long. Like, all right, all right. 
at some point, you've got to lift the weight. These are your core muscle groups. This is it. The word is the primary means through which we work out our salvation. It's also the primary means through which our dad works in us. So if you want to work out your own salvation, if you want to grow stronger in your faith, if you want to finally begin crushing doubt and despair and hopelessness and temptations to whatever your particular temptation is, it will only happen as the word is in you and the word is being worked out of you. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger always says, there is no magic pill. There are no shortcuts. There are only... Oh, we don't have that one as much. Reps, 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 just reps. Guys, our dad is saying to us, there are no magic pills. There are no shortcuts. Doing abs in the corner is not going to get it done. It'll be reps in the word of life. The same way you meal prep on Sunday afternoon, if you're serious about working out your own salvation, that is how we will treat the word. And we'll meal prep it, man. And we will get after it all week long. Reps in the word of life. But listen, Again, if you come from a background like I do, the word of life, the Bible is not an end in itself. I was kind of taught if I just knew more, if I just knew the Bible, then I'd be mature, I'd be strong, I would work out my salvation. That's not how it works. The word is not an end in itself, it is a means to an end, and here's the end, knowing our dad. So the word is how we grow to know our father. It's how we hear his voice, it's how we feel his heart, and it's how we learn to, lo- to live as his sons and daughters. In the word, we encounter every member of the Trinity. We encounter the Father as we listen to his voice. We see our older rescuing brother Jesus, and we're reminded of the work that he did on our behalf, and we see what we're becoming as sons and daughters. And we encounter the Holy Spirit who is bringing the word to life for us and implanting it in our souls, putting it in us so that we can work out our salvation. And that's what we need. And then like a good older brother, Paul gives encouragement. He says, look, do all of this. Like, this is him going big brother on us. He, he, work out your salvation. Don't complain. Hold fast to the word. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That's, that's what an older brother says. That's what a dad says. Let's encourage each other in this way, especially this week, if we're seriously getting after this plan. For some of us, maybe for the first time with intentionality. Let's run like Paul. Let's work like Paul. But listen, on each other's behalf, right? On each other's behalf. And while it is true that every member of our family must work out their own salvation, you've got to do it. Nobody else can do this work for you. This is the work that your dad has given you to do. It should also be true that no member in our family is working out alone. Don't work out alone. Please don't work out alone. All right, one posture to maintain while working out your own salvation. Paul wraps it up in verses 17 and 18. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Without a full-on Old Testament history lesson right now, let me just say this. A drink offering was always secondary. It wasn't the main event. It was off to the side. Okay, a drink offering was secondary. It supplemented and, compl- and, and completed the main thing, the sacrificial offering. 
a drink offering was poured out over the offering for the good of something else. Like it was just completing it, making it right, and making it smell good, and making it be the offering that it was supposed to, to be. It was not the main thing. This is what Paul is saying about himself. This was his posture, viewed himself as secondary, not the main thing, and that he belonged in the family to pour himself out for the good of those around him who were working out their salvation as sons and daughters. And the mind-blowing thing is, this was a source of gladness and joy for Paul. We have been taught culturally to look for a church where your source of joy and gladness will be that all your preferences are met and that everything exists for you. The gospel pathway to joy and gladness is actually a backseat to your preferences that you are not the main thing. You have been adopted in. You're a welcome addition, but you're not a center of attention to the family. And that you would view yourself in the same way that Paul is viewing himself as a, drink, as a drink offering to be poured out. Really, the terminology he's adopting is, I want my life to be poured out on this, even if it requires my death. This was his source of joy and gladness. It will be a source of gladness and joy for you. If your joy is weak right now, if your gladness is waning, you will not be, more, be made more glad or more joyful in doing you or pursuing you or going somewhere else where your preferences are satisfied. The pathway to joy and gladness is... De- That's a loud truck. The pathway to joy and gladness is denial of self and actually pouring yourself out for the flourishing of people around you. That will give you joy. And because this is when we are most like our older rescuing brother, Jesus. This is exactly what he did for us. So wrapping this up, guys, family, so often when we go to work or when we work out, we work because we want to be accepted, we want to be loved, we want to be affirmed, or because we have something to prove. But in our Father's family, we work because we are already accepted in Jesus. We work because we are loved in Jesus. We work because we are already affirmed in Jesus. And we work precisely because we have nothing to prove, but because Jesus has already proved all there is to prove. You have nothing to prove in this work. So friends, if you're new to the family this morning and you know you're not yet adopted in, I would implore you to stop trusting in your own work and trust in Jesus' finished work on your behalf. This is the work that you have to do right now. In fact, Jesus said that in the Gospels. Their work, the work that you need to do is to believe. You need to believe in the one who worked in your place. That is your only hope. Now, family, let me just say a couple, a couple things to you as we close. Um, many of you here are here this morning, and you have been working for the wrong reasons. You kind of come from the background I do, and you're working to earn something, to earn your place in the family, to prove something, to keep dad happy so he won't be mad at you. Guys, listen, Jesus is better. You rest, learn to rest in his work, celebrate his finished work, and then learn to work differently. We, we have to learn to work for different reasons. Now, family, if you're here and you're just, you're not working, like Paul is saying it matters profoundly as a son or daughter that you actively own and work out your own salvation. In fact, he, w- he would say it more plainly probably. He would say a son works, a daughter works, and in the absence of work, of really getting after learning to be a son or a daughter. You should be, there should be concern about whether or not you are actually a son or daughter to our Father. He will cultivate in you this, this desire and ability to work. Family, if you're here and you're working, um, that's great. But be sure that you are working at relationship with your dad and not doing relationless tasks for him. 
Your primary work, listen, your primary work is learning to be a son, learning to be a daughter. That's the work that Paul is talking about. That's your work. The father doesn't want you busy. He wants you. And please don't work alone. As you work relationally, as you've grown in this capacity, please circle back and help others learn to work at being sons and daughters with you. In God's family, in our Father's family, we work, but we work because Jesus already worked to make us his own. Let's thank him for that. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus for our rescue. Jesus, we thank you for working on our behalf, doing everything necessary, and for announcing to us that the work is done. Father, for those who have been working so hard and they're just carrying this weight, this burden of this work, this insufficient work, I pray that you'd give them freedom today in the gospel to know that Jesus, you worked for them. And now in your family, we don't work for anything, we work from. God, I pray that you would make our hearts glad in this. But Father, please, by your grace and through the Spirit, let us be sons and daughters who as a family actually get after it this week that we put complaining and arguing to death, choosing instead to trust you in all of that tension and discomfort. Father, help us to hold fast to your word this week, like our lives depend, like help us to actually believe this time that our lives do depend upon our time in the word. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for accepting us and keeping us, even though none of us in this room really are great sons or daughters. We are forever kept because of the perfect working son, Jesus, and we thank you for that. Amen.